Alright folks, welcome back to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Mile High Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports podcast family, I'm the site manager over at Denver Stiffs, and I am coming to you on Sunday evening after what might be the largest atrocity and greatest pleasure of the 2022 playoffs. The Dallas Mavericks have absolutely wiped the floor with the Phoenix Suns, and the vibes are immaculate. Everything is going so well, and it's honestly hilarious given what the Suns were doing and and how they sort of operated. But I want to talk about the two game sevens today, along with a a very special uh, bonus to that. And then we're going to take some lessons to learn from the NBA playoffs. And I've, I've got some takeaways that I want to share based off of what we've seen, based off of how these teams have operated. And then in the final segment, we're going to talk about mental toughness, what that actually means within the grand scheme of the NBA, because I have some takes on that as well. But for now, let's talk about what happened. The Celtics and Bucks played today, the Mavericks and Suns played today, and the Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers played uh, Thursday night, is that is that right? But I, I, I didn't give it uh, the full scope of my thoughts uh, back on Thursday night because I was speaking with Jake Coyne. Uh, by the way, that podcast, extremely popular. Thank you for tuning into that one. I was hyping it up and it was very good. And if you want to listen to free agency and trade targets and things like that with Jake Coyne, Bronco Squatch, uh, make sure to check into that one. But we had these three games and these three massive uh, pivot points, I think, for the NBA playoffs. And that's kind of what happens when you get to the end of the second round. Narratives are made and broken. Uh, You have players that kind of rise to the occasion and really take that next step. And then you have players that that sort of falter in in those moments. And let's start with the Celtics and the Bucks because I think that's the least inflammatory of the three. Uh, the Celtics and the Bucks. Obviously, the Celtics are going to be favored there at home. They didn't have Giannis Antetokounmpo on their team, but they had probably. I mean, Drew Holiday was fantastic as well, but they had the momentum following a Game Six road win against Milwaukee on Friday night in Milwaukee, and then today, it's Sunday, you got a quick turnaround heading to Boston. It was pretty clear that the Milwaukee Bucks ran out of gas in this game, and they also just had one of their their patented Bucks shooting performances where they just cannot hit the broadside of the barn. They absolutely left Giannis Antetokounmpo out to dry. And he was fantastic at the beginning of this game and, and, and most of the time, honestly. But the problem when you're the only guy and when you're facing a team that is just incredibly talented on defense like the Celtics are, is that they get to gear up for you. And anytime that Giannis made some of those fantastic passes and reads that he was always making, those shots were bricked. And the the Bucks just did not come to the table in that game. It was pretty clear that they were missing Chris Middleton, just another capable replacement for Grayson Allen, who was awful in this series. But it also kind of goes to show that it's really, really hard to win when you're by yourself. And we, we're going to keep... Pushing this narrative, us Nuggets fans, just because, look, Nikola Jokic had to go through hell in in this past first round series and then in the second round series last year against the Phoenix Suns, where Denver got swept. So they did not have any perimeter playmaking that Denver didn't, and it really bit them in the ass. And 
that was a definite problem for the Bucks as well, where Giannis is kind of the only guy that you really trust in those scenarios. He's running more pick and rolls than ever, running more isos and post-ups and everything. And he has to create all of this. And there's only so much that one player can do when you shade to that side as often as they did. And so I don't really blame Giannis for having a bad game seven. And it wasn't even that bad. Like he was, what, 24, 20, and nine or something like that. He was fantastic and, and just kind of did what he normally does, even on kind of a subpar game. But let's face it, it's really hard to win by yourself. I think Jason Tatum really elevated himself into that superstar conversation this year. He has done fantastic things over the course of these past two games, had that 44, 46 point performance in game six uh, on the road in an in a elimination game. He was fantastic and continued to be so. Grant Williams stepping up to the plate, 2019 draft pick, a year that Denver traded away their pick in a salary dump to get under the luxury tax. All those things come back around. And if you're Denver, you have to be willing to do everything that you possibly can to add talent to the team. Salary dump, not a great idea. And if Denver is actually thinking about doing that this offseason because they're going to incur a high luxury tax bill, then I would argue against it because it is actively uh, against your team when it comes to competing. Well, yeah, uh, Bucks lost. I had previously said that I thought that the Celtics were going to win the NBA title. And I still stand by that. Like, I think they are the most versatile team. If Robert Williams comes back and is reasonably good, then they have the most talent from up from top to bottom of their rotation. And they have a, a solid option at pretty much every single position to play defense. They have a solid option at every single position to play offense. And got enough superstar talent. You got enough versatility. That is really the key in my mind. Uh, but now let's move to the main event. The Mavericks and the Suns. And my God, if you were watching my Twitter feed, you'll understand just how hilarious this game was because the Suns have been talking. Suns fans, the media have been talking about how great they are. And I've kind of contributed to that. When you're playing in that position and you, and you are always the toughest guy on the block, and, and everybody believes that you're the best and they're shooting up at you and, you and you are like you feel very confident in your abilities. It is really easy to get caught up in the fact that you're awesome. But when big bad Luka Doncic rolled into town and decided that he was going to force a game seven against the Phoenix Suns and you start to realize, OK, if we lose this game, we're done. And now we're kind of in that position where the Suns, this is the only the second time in the last two years that they have been in an elimination game where they have a chance to be eliminated and they're 0-2 in those opportunities. Chris Paul did not show up in this game. Devin Booker did not show up in this game. DeAndre Ayton did not show up in this game. The entire Suns franchise did not show up for this game. And it showed. They were booed on their home court at halftime because they were down 30 points and they ultimately finished like, I actually don't know 
how much they lost by, but it's just, it gets to these crazy thresholds where it was one of the worst losses I have ever seen in my entire life. It was embarrassing. It was like you put stock into a team like that as a team that that had that was talking themselves up, where you see that they're a team of destiny. I've called them a team of destiny before because it felt like everything was breaking right. And then they ran into Luka Doncic and a band of players that play competent defense around him and can switch and can do everything that you need to do against a perimeter attack. And it became very, very easy to see where they were going to crumble. That team is a front runner of all front runners. They might be the biggest front runner I have ever seen. And we watched the Clipper series where Denver got down 3-1 against the Clippers and then Marcus Morris decided to run his mouth. That just sort of that's that's kind of how some of these things go. Like you really un- have to understand just how mentally tough some of these players are and just how mentally fragile some players can be when things don't go their way. And you start to see the true colors. Uh, DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams are getting into an f- uh, argument on the sidelines. Uh, Devin Booker is shying away from the moment. Chris Paul makes his first basket after the Suns get down 40 points in that one. That is hilarious. Like, come on, man. You're going to like, you deserve all of the slander, all of it. There is no doubt in my mind that you should have been the title favorite based off of how the season went, and you blew it. Had several chances to. And they clowned Luka Doncic and the Mavs in game two. There was that clip going around of uh, everybody's tough when they're up. Everybody, it was basically what Luca was saying in the tunnel after game two. Everybody's, uh, everybody's tough. Everybody's whatever uh, when you when you when things are going well. And he was spot on. Won four of the next five games. Embarrassed the ever living shit out of the Suns. And they deserve all of it for how they tried to run roughshod over the league and got caught from behind by an actual generational player. Don't tell me that Devin Booker's an MVP. Don't tell me that Chris Paul is the point god when he's probably the fourth best point guard of all time. Like there's there's no reason to go any higher than that. Steph's already passed him. Different mentality, different kind of player. And then we've got the the final here. This isn't a game seven, of course, but this is the Miami Heat versus versus the Philadelphia 76ers in game six, where there was a lot of talking about the MVP. There was a lot of talking about, oh, if we just get back this guy, I know he's he's fighting through injuries. And then there's just a lot of, I think, things that can break Joel Embiid's way in this case where he doesn't get a lot of the blame. But there is a culture that has been established by the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid was drafted in 2014. It is 2022. He has had plenty of opportunities to establish a better culture that isn't a blame game, that isn't a constant situation where you feel the need to deflect and identify the problem and then try to mix and match a solution. Part of that comes from the Daryl Morey, uh, Sam Hinkie school of thoughts where you have to just exchange players until you're better. 
and to some degree, there there is some truth to that, but it loses the human element of this. And this is where fans that run the trade machine, fans that run uh, the books, the salary cap books into the ground, they're trying to come up with solutions to just trade out certain pieces. And if you just do this, then you're going to be a title contender or a champion. It doesn't always work that way. I think everybody thought that James Harden would be helpful for the Heat or for the Sixers. He would have been given like he would give Tyrese Maxey a little bit of pressure release. Uh, you would have Tobias Harris as kind of a fourth option as opposed to a third option. And Joel Embiid, he'd be able to run pick and roll with him, make sure it's easier. And then you come out in a game six in an elim- elimination game. Harden shoots twice in the second half, scores, I think it was three points, two points, two points. And Joel Embiid shoots 7 of 24 and somehow is going to deflect it onto somebody else. That is not an MVP. The way that they have established their culture is not MVP caliber. The Nuggets know this. The Nuggets have done this right. They've made sure to build around Nikola Jokic, but also establish that this is a, a group of people and a family that are going in the same direction and making sure that they are all pointed in that same direction as best as they can be. The Sixers have never been that. They have never, ever in their lives, or in the, in their uh, these last few years, sorry, never ever in these last few years been a family. There's always been poor relationships. There's always been the culture that you can just exchange out. And that is probably the best referendum on the process that we could possibly have. That maybe the plan was good. Maybe it would be better if the superstar that you got would hold players accountable in the right way as opposed to throwing them under the bus. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think that they have the right formula and I don't know if they'll ever have the right formula, especially if they re-sign Harden, especially if they opt into Doc Rivers, which it sounds like they're going to do. It's pretty hilarious. When we come back, we're going to talk about lessons to learn from these NBA playoffs, other than just laughing at some of these teams. We'll be right back. back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackman here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Haven't had a review come in since late April, and I'd love to see some of those come in. Any uh, any updates on the off-season content and how you guys are perceiving what's going on and, and what, what I can potentially do to do better. That would be great. All right, let's talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about the the teams that are remaining right now. Uh, got four teams. You've got the uh, the Suns. Oh no, just kidding. You don't. You have the Mavericks. You have the Warriors. You have the Celtics, and you have the Heat. Very interesting group right there. And I think what you can really start to identify, at least at first is that there's a lot of wing talent. There's a lot of guards. There's a lot of wings. There's some forwards. There's not a lot of bigs. Who is the best big 
remaining in the playoffs? Is it Bam Adebayo? Is it Robert Williams? Is it Draymond? I mean, Draymond Green is definitely a big, but I don't really consider him a big in the traditional sense because he's really the guy who revolutionized small ball in a lot of ways where you put him at the five and you have to play super fast in order to keep up with somebody like that. But the real thing I think that people are missing here is that the lengthy wings, the guys, like it's not just the guards, it's not just always being small. It's that you have to have wings, but they have to be long and they have to be versatile. And you see all of these teams employ these guys. The Mavericks, for example. Luka Doncic is 6'8". Sometimes it doesn't feel that way because he's always a point guard, but he's 6'8", and he's big. Like That dude is strong. He's long and athletic. In more of a uh, like untraditional sense, of course, but like he's one of the best decelerators in the NBA, and obviously one of the most skilled guys. You've got Dorian Finney-Smith on that team. You've got Reggie Bullock on that team. You've got Maxi Kleba, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Jalen Brunson is the smallest guy, and, and he's definitely small. But you've got other players that sort of make up for that, and and with their length and athleticism and switchability. That is absolutely how they they survive. The Warriors are kind of the same way. They have Steph, who is their small guy. He's 6'3", a little bit skinnier, but he's still strong as an, as an ox. But uh, you've got Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, Gary Payton II, all of those guys in the middle. And, and obviously, Gary Payton's out, so they've had to pivot. All of those guys kind of in that middle group, in the two to four are the most versatile pieces you can possibly get. And even if you move into the Eastern Conference, some of those guys at the one are still very versatile. Look at Marcus Smart. Look at Derek White. Those guys for the Celtics, they are long and athletic for their positions. And having that comparative size is always so important at uh, at this level so that you can switch so that you can get into passing lanes and to play hounding defense and feel comfortable isolating again. Like if somebody isolates against you, then it is what it is. Uh, But you've got to be able to shut down the paint. And the way that you do that is you switch and you blitz and you try to prevent people from getting into that painted area as best as you can. Sometimes the blitz isn't, isn't what is actually working, but for most of these teams, and I, the Heat are another one, where you've got Jimmy Butler, of course, but Max Struess is playing over Duncan Robinson and sometimes Tyler Hero. And the reason for that is because Max Struess is a bulldog. Gabe Vincent, though he's small, is still exceedingly quick. And he's also capable of switching. And the, the Heat are one of the most switchable teams in the entire NBA. So, in fact, are the Warriors are the Mavericks and the, who am I missing? The Celtics. All of those teams can switch. All of those teams can play different forms of defense, but switching has really elevated them in so many ways. Now, one of the other takeaways that I have, though, is that it only takes solid defenders at every position to be good enough. It is not like you have to have a Mikhail Bridges, in order to survive, in order to 
get past some of these teams. It's not like you have to have a Marcus Smart, though it certainly helps. Jimmy Butler is a very strong defender. He's had very strong moments in the past as a defender. He's not an all-NBA, all-defense caliber defender, but he's still making opponents work, as is P.J. Tucker. And I forgot to mention him in the lengthy wings. Um, You have to have guys that are always capable. You can't have players that just can't do it. And those guys are often the guys that have their minutes reduced in some of these situations. Derek White really struggled earlier in the series, and especially in the first round, and he was having his minutes reduced to below Peyton Pritchard for the Celtics. But he ultimately figured it out and ultimately became a very integral piece into the Celtics rotation. He had to be because they play such a short rotation. The Heat are the same way, of course, where you have these smaller rotations and you have these guys that like you've got Dwayne Dedman, who he might not be the greatest matchup against the Celtics, but he was such a great matchup against Joel Embiid and the 76ers and really made Joel Embiid's life very difficult. You have to have solid options and solid defenders at every position is often good enough. So if you're the Nuggets, what does that really mean to you? Is Jamal Murray solid enough at his point guard position? Absolutely. There are some guys that he might struggle with, like the quick twitch guys, but most of the time he's solid enough. Will Barton, is he solid enough for his position? No. Michael Porter, is he solid enough for his position? No. Aaron Gordon, is he solid enough for his position? Absolutely. Nikola Jokic, is he solid enough? Yes, I think so. But it's also a question based off of what the perimeter talent has looked like in the past. So I don't think we're going to know the question of whether Nikola Jokic is solid enough in his position or not until the other positions are solved. And it gives me a lot of pause on Michael Porter Jr. Like he has a lot of growth to make up for. And there were some things that he did this past, like earlier in this season, even while he was hurt, that I was pretty impressed with the defensive efforts and the attention that he had, that he gave on that end, despite the fact that the the shots weren't going down. So I think the solid defense is very important, but perhaps even more important than that. I mean, well, I, I keep saying that, but the defense has really defined this, in my opinion. Elite offense, though, is the best form of defense. Look at the Mavericks. Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic. I wouldn't call any of those three guys elite defenders, but the Mavs have been able to play elite defense because they made the Suns work, and the Suns were tired. They couldn't deal with all of what the the Mavericks had to deal with with them and throw at them for the entire series. They wore down and then ultimately bowed out in a pretty ugly way, and they scored, what, 27 points in the half? against the Mavs. Like, the Mavs aren't that good of a defense. They've played great defense, don't get me wrong, but they aren't that good of a defense. The the Suns were worn down. And some of that comes from Chris Paul just being 37 years old and Mikhail Bridges having to work super hard on Luka Doncic every series. But Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, those guys, they, they don't have those excuses. But they were worn down. 
because they had to work hard and because the the Mavericks were able to go at them at every single point that they could. I think the same thing happened with the Bucks as well. They shot so poorly in game seven, probably not just because they were buxing, but because their, their shooters were probably tired. I, I have to imagine that game seven in this very physical series for a little bit of an older team with Wesley Matthews and uh, not Pat Conson, but but some of their guys were older. Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, etc. Like they probably kind of reached that wall in terms of their their energy levels, and they couldn't really do anything on on what was a a pretty quick turnaround for a game seven. So, given that, Denver's got to be great on offense in order to be good on defense. That's my opinion. You're going to have to be dedicated to both, and you're going to have to find solutions going forward for both. But having options is so important. Being healthy is so important. All of these teams, they're getting healthy at the right time. The Mavericks, they didn't have to deal with a a freak injury to Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie or whatnot. Uh, The Heat, they didn't have to deal with injuries to Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo or anything like that. And as long as you're healthy going into the final stretch, you're always going to give yourself a chance if you have a guy like Luka or a guy like Joker. If you believe in Nikola Jokic, the way that the Mavericks believe in Luka Doncic, then there's definitely enough talent for Denver to win, even with the defensive weaknesses, even with the defensive weaknesses for Jokic. Like, I do genuinely believe this, that if you just surround Jokic with competent defenders at every position, things look a little bit different. Denver wasn't competent this year on the defensive end. They really struggled. And I thought that Jokic had to put out a lot of fires on the defensive end. When he is asked to do that, especially against a team like the Warriors, where he has to cover so much ground, that's impossible, especially for a guy that also has to carry the burden on the offensive end. I thought Jokic really acquitted himself well in the first round. He would have worn down by the second round anyway. I think the Nuggets would have definitely lost to the Grizzlies, even if they were missing jaw. So, given that, you have to make the other team work harder than you. That's the most important thing. You've got to be tough and you've got to give a whole bunch of effort. Don't get me wrong, but you got to make the other team absolutely earn every single inch that they get. So if they try to go up early, then make them pay for it late. When we come back, we're going to talk about what mentally tough really means in the scheme of the NBA. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much everybody for tuning in final segment here where i do want to just briefly touch on this doesn't have to be long but mental toughness in the nba has been questioned and and i think a lot of people uh they don't necessarily know how to talk about mental toughness i'm not even sure if i'm the right person to talk about it but i just want to throw in my two cents here there are certain traits that you look for certain amounts of competitiveness some fire, some edge, and then some ability to respond to adversity that you're looking for when you're trying to build the foundation and the character of a roster. And a lot of that comes from the best player. 
A lot of that comes from the head coach. A lot of that comes just from being in the organization and having trust in that organization. I think the Heat really embody this well, where you believe in Heat culture. And some of it's kind of for show, and some of it's a little bit meh. And they're probably going to lose to the Celtics next up next round. But I still think that it is real and that as long as your team buys into it and is willing to die by it, then there is a certain amount of mental toughness that can be accrued there. Players come from all different backgrounds. They come from all different places. And what I've come to understand is that there are certain times where players are tested and you never know how they're going to respond until they are pushed to the absolute brink. And that's one of the things that is great about the NBA is that it really does open up all eyes. Where I think in the finals last year, Giannis going down, I think, 2-0 in that series in the NBA Finals, he could have responded in a completely different way than he did. Instead, he ran through the brick wall. He made sure to maximize his matchup and had the self-belief and the confidence of his entire roster to ultimately become an NBA champion and had that 50-point game in game seven or in game, game six, excuse me. Shot 17 of 19 from the free throw line, kind of conquering his biggest demon. That was such a big deal. And it showed how mentally tough Giannis Antetokounmpo was. Luka Doncic, in this playoffs, he was absolutely, like, he was clowning the the Jazz, to be clear. They won that series in, what, five games, six games? I, I don't even remember. Time is a flat line. Um. They won that series, and then everybody was like, "Okay, but let's see the let's see the Mavericks do this against the Suns, an actual real team." And the Suns, they came out and blitzed them. They knew that they had to set the tone, send the message, and they did. They sent a big, big message to the Mavericks with the way that they treated Luka Doncic in Game Two. It was one of the most abusive matchups I have ever seen in my entire life, where they went at him relentlessly with the confidence that they had. And they tried to break him. And now, fast forward through Game 7, and Luka Doncic has broken the Suns. Their spirit is gone. Luka Doncic being able to come back from what was a clear target at his defense, at his competitiveness, at his character, at his ability to be a leader and a winner, they targeted him. And for him to respond in the manner that he did is just so inspiring. It's one of those things that when you think about the superheroes that are in the NBA and some of these great, fantastic athletes, it takes a different level of mental toughness in order to survive. It also takes a different mental toughness in order to, when you weather that storm, sometimes you break. Look at the suns. Like I said, 0-2 in their elimination games. What has Devin Booker done to really prove that he's a winner? What has he done? How has he acted when, okay, you're matched up with a team that is not like injured at this point? Well, you lost to the to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, of course. Sorry, me stuttering here. 
and he lost to the Dallas Mavericks. And neither of those teams had the major injuries that the three previous matchups in the Lakers, although they were falling apart already. The Clippers, they had lost Kawhi. Uh, and the Nuggets, of course, where they had lost one of the most mentally tough guys I know in Jamal Murray. And I think a lot of people, they they confuse these levels of mental toughness in such ways where I think a lot of people put the cart before the horse when they really anointed the Suns. And I, I'm guilty of this too. I really thought that they were going to be, it was going to be Suns Warriors. We're going to get an epic battle in the Western Conference Finals. And whether the Warriors come out on top of that or the Suns come out on top of that, it would have been very interesting to see how the rest of the playoffs play out. But now, now we're in a situation where they have a lot of questions to answer. For the second year in a row, they've just been blitzed in the final four or five games of a series and have no answers. First it was by Giannis, next it was by Luka. Maybe next year it's by Nikola Jokic. Maybe that, that would be pretty cool. But I do want to circle back to Jamal on this one because we've heard mental toughness discussed with him in the past. And there are a lot of people that questioned him and a lot of people that questioned the injury toughness when it came to wanting to come back from the injury in order to play against the Warriors in the first round. I have zero doubt, having spoken to various people in and around Jamal, that he would have been back had he been ready. He was not ready. And it's okay to not be ready. It takes a mentally tough person to admit when you're not ready. Honestly, you don't think that Jamal has, like, he's played through so many injuries and nicks and bumps and bruises throughout his career that you don't think he would have been out there if there was any chance, if there was any, like, semblance that it made sense for him to be out there? Of course not. Of course he would be out there. He took it slow and will continue to take it slow. And it's probably going to be a process next year. But the mental toughness that faces the Nuggets in the face of these past two, this this first round exit, last year's second round exit, in the case of these playoff uh, flameouts that they've had, where they've been by injury, but they have also been where they need to look themselves in the mirror and ask, are they tough enough? Are they good enough? Are they capable of matching up with some of these top teams? Because if you look at the Suns and how Denver got embarrassed by them last year, and this year, by the way, Denver is not on that level. They're not on that level probably mentally yet. They don't at least believe that they are. The Mavericks were able to do it. We're going to see how the Mavericks face against the Warriors. But what I will say is that the Grizzlies, they put up more of a fight against the Warriors than the Nuggets did. And half of their games came without their leading star in John Morant. Now, did they have their other guys? Yes. So maybe there's a little bit of a difference there in terms of, okay, you have Jamal Murray, you have Michael Porter, and suddenly you have your mental confidence back. Suddenly you have your your edge and your belief. And I think the Nuggets were kind of running into that, of course. But I believe, based off of what the Nuggets did in the bubble, based off of how these last two seasons went, that they are a mentally tough team. I am going to go out on a limb and say that it is really tough to have a consistent mental belief 
when the guy that sort of led you and guided you through the bubble experience in Jamal, when he wasn't there for these last 14 months, 13 months, whatever, when he comes back, it'll be a process, like I said. It's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be some bumps and bruises along the way, some pitfalls that they need to avoid. But I believe in their mental toughness. I believe in Nikola Jokic's mental toughness. I think that he weathered this storm really well, won two MVPs along the way, and is ready to win a title. I think that he's mentally prepared for it now. As opposed to I think I think last year, honestly. He wasn't necessarily mentally prepared for it. I think this year he was a little bit late on the draw, but he was mentally prepared for the workload and the effort and and everything that would go into it. Next year, I think he will be absolutely mentally prepared to do whatever it takes. He's a competitor. He believes it. And sometimes you just need to have that journey. Luka ran into a wall against the Clippers in two straight playoffs. He was sandbagged by Kristaps Porzingis each time, and that was tough, and they needed to figure that out, and they ultimately traded him for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, and they got better. But Luka also figured some things out. He was fantastic at each of those games too, like each of those rounds, but he has evolved as a basketball player and as a competitor as well. He's always been super competitive, but he learned some things along the way. The same with Giannis, where he got stopped by Toronto against Kawhi. He ran into a very emotional thing, emotional stop against Miami, the Miami Heat in the bubble. And I think Jokic is going through some of these same things. And now he's ready to come out of it on the other side as a leader and a winner. And there's no doubt about it in my mind. Now it is on the Nuggets to surround him with the best pieces to win. Lengthy wings would be great. Solid defenders at every position would be great, but just know that you have to be healthy and you have to be all pulling the same direction and all have that belief in your guy that he can be the best guy on the court. And then the Nuggets can win a title. And surviving all of that, that's where the mental toughness comes in because you have to weather that storm. And until you do, you're never going to be ready. Teams very rarely go through a breeze in order to win a title. It is a journey. It is a storm in order to get through a full NBA season and all of the pitfalls that go through it. The Nuggets, they have to be okay with that. And they have to experience those things next year because they will mentally prepare them for what comes in the playoffs the following season. I firmly believe that they can, and I firmly believe that they will. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Mile High Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always, on this program. We get to laugh at the Suns. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for the Mavericks on the on the way forward. I think that they're fantastic. I think that Luca's doing the right thing, and, and he's just a, a wonderful piece to watch, for sure. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. As always, I will be back on Wednesday with another podcast. Talk to you then.